What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer. Welcome to episode 64 of Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with Ping Pong enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform. Just to help you increase operational efficiencies, it saves time and allows sellers to manage their business profits from a single source. For more information, go ahead and check out the link below or go ahead and contact me directly. The email is ryan.kramer at pingpongx.us. Thanks for joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Or if you're listening to us via download on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, truly wherever you can search or find a podcast, I'm going to be there. Just search Crossover Commerce by Ping Pong Payments and go ahead and subscribe and download. We have content that's slowly trickling out via audio form. Go ahead and subscribe and download to those as well. Same content that we do live on these shows. If you're just so busy, I want to make it easy for you to consume these nuggets of information to level up your e-commerce experience. Uh, Our guest today was actually going to be uh, a former colleague of mine from Viral Launch, but as things change in the business and e-commerce world, people get sick. Uh, I am more than happy. I'm definitely going to be bringing on Cam Yoder of Viral Lunch later on this week, but I decided to take this opportunity to make this episode and ask me anything episode. So what that means is if you have a question about e-commerce or ping pong or just get, have your thoughts that you've heard on the show across you know, any sort of topic in e-commerce world, let me know. I want to go ahead and just make this an interactive uh, podcast episode, depending on how long or how many people are involved will depend on the length of the show. Maximum, obviously an hour, but I would be more than happy to answer your questions again about those topics. And I want to go ahead and just dive into some of my thoughts and what's going on in the e-commerce in Amazon world. So no guests today. It's going to be flying me flying solo today. So if you have questions, definitely reach out. If I have former guests who are listening today, uh, definitely reach out to me on Messenger and I can make sure and let you guys hop on as well. More than happy to discuss e-commerce uh, individually as well. So go ahead and reach out. Let me know what you think. Uh, go ahead and share this content as always on social media. Give us a like and go ahead. And if you watch this and on our and are on team replay, go ahead and let us know after the fact, after you watch this episode, tell me what you think. You know, this is a new format I'm running today. I'm trying a couple of different things since we've hit episode 64. Um, you know, now's the time to, of course, do the same format, but kind of stretch where we can see where we can innovate and get more engagement with our audience and users as well. So if you are watching live, Go ahead and comment with your questions. Let me know where you're listening from. I want to know where all of our listeners are listening from. Go ahead and hit those in the comments section below as well. So with an Ask Me Anything, this is something I wanted to put out there. Even if you're not in e-commerce, I want to know what are your thoughts about uh, starting your business? What are you struggling with? What are you succeeding with? What do you? Th- where do you think that e-commerce is going to lead in 2021? That's actually what I was going to be talking about on this show today is what the data is leading people to in 2021. And to be honest with you, this is what I talk about on all of my different guest appearances 
is I think international marketplaces are going to be the big move. And this is why. Amazon.com is the leader in its space, right? Everyone, if you're starting on Amazon or if you're a seasoned seller on Amazon, that is where you're going to be starting your e-commerce journey. Of course, that's where all the money is. That's where most of the eyeballs are. It's going to start there. Amazon.com started in the United States. It only makes sense that this is where lots of people shop. They're used to it. That is what people are trained to do. Moving forward, I like to give a, a five-year look out into the future. And, th- and this is kind of my personal perspective, is that I think international growth, both international sellers and also international marketplaces are going to be the way to go. This is why. Amazon in the United States, again, is a five-year growth, uh, about five years ahead of the rest of the world. Think about other, um, the only country in the world is not the United States, clearly, but there are other places around the world that are slowly starting to adopt the Amazon ecosystem, again, in Europe, in Germany. Those are the two major marketplaces in international context where people go to next. Um, If you're selling in .com, that is the first place to start. But when you're talking about growth, international expansion, you're going to be going across the seas to either Europe, um, specifically in Germany or the UK. That being said, once you start to move that direction, you can then go to a different direction in terms of where else is new outside of the Amazon ecospace? Um, because in 2020, we honestly saw, and this is what I tell on the show all the time, we saw that there was lots of different um, holdups in terms of logistics. There was holdups in terms of getting uh, inventory in different places. A lot of sellers are still struggling with IMI um, in terms of getting their thresholds high enough so that they can have inventory limits high enough so that they can put in more inventory into their warehousing. That being said, I think that there's lots of ways. We had Stephen Black on yesterday, and he had a really good point. And again, if you have questions, go ahead. This is an Ask Me Anything episode, everyone. So if you want to chime in uh, for I have special uh, – that's not that one. There you go. Uh, for the episode today, if you have questions, go ahead and ask in the comment section, and I'll be more than happy to answer them about ping pong, about e-commerce in general. I'm just going to give my kind of train of thought what I've been thinking about for my guess over the last couple of weeks, and then also where I think it's going to lead in 2021 and further. So I think there's just lots of different marketplace opportunities and growth because people either tout competition, uh, which is true, or they tout just opportunity and eyeballs uh, in market share. Now, market share comes with obviously where the buying power is, but recently on um, a couple of different friends of the show have posted some articles. There have been... I think Southeast Asia is a really big marketplace because when you add them all up in terms of the global buying market or the GMV or the market value, that it, Southeast Asia, if you add up all those island nations, plus, you know, once logistics are figured out, you can actually start figuring out that that when you add it all up, that becomes the fourth largest global market value in terms of buying power in the world behind the United States, China, and I believe Europe. So that in itself is just an opportunity for sellers to start thinking about international growth and expansion. Now, of course, you know, there's different things to consider about logistics, translations, localization, so on and so forth. But this is what today is all about is giving my thoughts on the, on the matter. I've worked for three different e-commerce companies that have seen trends and followed numbers and data to show growth in that context. And I think that international growth in those places are just going to continue to swell. If you're looking to build a brand and not just exit your business, you're looking to grow a brand just outside of, 
you know, the marketplace, the traditional marketplace and take your brand to the next level. I want to see that growth happen internationally because again, people buying power. And then as technology starts to adapt in those marketplaces, that's where I'm going to put my eggs in those baskets. Now I'm not saying abandoned.com in general. That's not what I'm telling people, but what I am telling people is you really start to think about getting at least 10% of your business into those different marketplaces. Again, start with the eyeballs trickle down where most people are shopping already. Again, that's Germany. That is the UK. Those two represent about 70% of the buying power in all of Europe right now on amazon.com. Those aren't the only marketplaces that people can sell on. Of course, there's other marketplaces around the world that are very popular. Rakuten in Japan, um, Mercado Libre in South America. Those are two that I tout quite a lot because that is where most of the buying power is happening around the world. If it's not on .com, on amazon.com. That being said, you have to start building out all these different pegs on your stool so that you can support your business. And if it's growing internationally, it's not always just going to be on .com because .com is only so good and can only grow you so much because that's where competition will come in and just hammer you on and really test you. And it's obviously, of course, where most of your initial revenue is going to come from. But if you want to take your brand to the next level and really have developed a story and you really want to start taking your business to the next level, look at international marketplaces. And again, I'm, I'm talking about Australia as you're starting to see more and more sellers. eBay actually right now is the, is the number one platform there for selling goods, but slowly Amazon's coming along and they're starting to see a lot more Amazon.com seller or Amazon AU sellers. So Australia, very big opportunity. Japan, I have been touting this ever since we had Ritu, uh, Ritu Java on here from PPC Ninja. Japan's marketplace is a big opportunity for people. Of course, there's a lot of different nuances about translations. There's a lot of different ad spend opportunities that are difficult to kind of navigate at first. But once you navigate those waters, there is so much opportunity for you as a seller to grow and uh, expand your international empire, if you will. So Japan would be my second option. And then, of course, the easy layups for if you're in the United States is selling in Canada and Mexico. Just because of proximity, Canadian marketplace is very similar to uh, United States. There's not a lot of translation opportunities. We've seen that on the show is you don't have to translate your listings typically because of browser extensions. There's all, all these other kinds of opportunities so that you can't you don't have to put in the work in terms of translating your listings uh, logistics. There's so many different programs like the North American remote fulfillment program that you can get your goods to Canada in a timely manner. And also a lot of people I think are just scary about the GST and VOT. Um, so that would be my second kind of topic of the day is why are people not expanding internationally? And this is my thought. I think it's, I think it's a scary educational component that people aren't willing to look into. But if you look at it, besides just the paperwork and filing your GST and VAT, there's not a lot of difference in terms of putting your goods in international marketplaces like Europe or Canada. I say Europe, specifically Germany, um, but more notably in the UK and Canada. Now, people are scared about UK for pretty significant reason, Brexit. And I wanted to take this opportunity actually to share my screen 
and walk through a recent article that we had come out with. And again, if you're watching or listening to this on our podcast, more than happy to kind of share this out and link this out as well. But in terms of Brexit and what's going on in the EU, a lot of people are scared of the opportunity or they think that the opportunity isn't as rich or it's a little more difficult to navigate now. And that's not necessarily true. And I say this, uh, let me go ahead and share my screen real quick for those who you who are um, watching um, online. <laughs> let me go ahead. There we go. So on our recent blog that we just uh, came out today, there is a, we, we kind of, uh, or I should say this week, excuse me, that on ping pong, um, on usa.pingpongx.us, or excuse me, usa.pingpongx.com. Sorry, I'm touting my uh, email address all the time, but Brexit influence on cross-border e-commerce. I think this is something that I would love for us to kind of walk through. So we kind of broke down um, the ability. It's about a five-minute article very easy to kind of break down on uh, it, kind of breaking down what Brexit means to e-commerce sellers and what that means to the community. So what, what I would like uh, kind of walk through is the things that we uncovered from our team to help you understand Brexit a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit easier in that regards as well. So let me make this a little more consumable for people who are watching online. So uh, what we came up with is just kind of looking at this holistic approach to Brexit and what it means to e-commerce sellers in general. And if you have a question, go ahead. Again, this is an AMA. So I would love for any questions to kind of uh, come in. If you have them, go ahead and put those on our um, social channels on Facebook, YouTube. We're not on LinkedIn today, but uh, in, in this capacity, I would love to kind of just tout through um, what people think about international growth and e-commerce as well. So um, specifically Brexit, what I think a lot of people just don't, aren't, aren't, educated on is what how, how that impacts you as a seller. So the difference between Brexit and how that affects you and as a EU seller, there's a couple challenges, right? So the first would be logistics. Instead of just putting your products into um, the UK, which is the which was traditionally the number one port for all of Europe in terms of getting your goods into Europe and then it would be fulfilled from there because the UK is no longer part of the EU. And again, I'm throwing all these acronyms in there. So if you need clarification, just let me know. If you if you would like to kind of walk through this, I'm more than happy to answer those questions. But in terms of logistics change, how that how that was and how it is now, because of Brexit, you can no longer just fulfill your goods from on Amazon, just in from a UK uh, warehouse you have to actually put your goods in both UK separately because it's not part of the EU anymore. But as of January 1st this year, so this is about a month and a half, this has been implemented. But you also have to put your goods into EU nation. A great tip that was talked about on the show was actually instead of putting your goods in just UK or sending it to Germany because Germany is more a little bit more landlocked, the port that actually took over for most growth and actually for number one in terms of growth uh, uh, growth in terms of international logistics was Netherlands. And I had to think about that, but Netherlands is now a port of high importance for your goods if you want to sell in Europe. And here's why, because of how it's located logistically, obviously on the Atlantic Ocean and how it's positioned to get their goods fulfilled throughout the rest of the EU, it's important to fulfill and send your goods to Netherlands and also UK. 
not one or the other, but make sure that they're sent to both locations. And again, when you're growing internationally, you don't have to put your MOQs, your minimum order quantities, all in those marketplaces. If you're just testing the waters, make sure you're putting maybe 5% or 10% or go ahead and put you know, just a percentage of it to test and see what goods are going to do well. And then you start to order and scale appropriately. It's not all of your goods in terms of percentages that are going from amazon.com and replicating and doubling that and putting it into an unproven marketplace for you as a business. Now, again, those marketplaces are still growing in terms of number, size, usage, uh, buying power. So it's important to test it out and see what's working, what's not. But more likely, you're going to start with your top sellers. So take your next order that you're going to do with your uh, suppliers and take 10% of that and put it into a marketplace like UK or EU. In that case, it would be going to Germany specifically. That would be my suggestion. Also, Canada, if you want a very easy market to kind of expand into, that's a quick one to get into. In terms of volume and size and possibilities, Europe is the one to take a look at it. Again, this is the logistic challenges. So Amazon, they will ship from not just one warehouse, but if you're selling in Germany or those other marketplaces like Italy or Spain or other Amazon uh, marketplaces, you have to have your goods in one of those fulfillment centers so that they can logistically get it out to, to those locations. You don't have to send it to each different marketplace. You can have it so that it's fulfilling from one of the major hubs like in Germany or in the Netherlands, but specifically sending your goods to the Netherlands. That's my tip. Number one, um, again, inventory has to be separated, managed by e uh, UK and the EU respectively because of Brexit. So it's important if you're selling in those marketplaces to be sending it appropriately. And again, your business situation, um, all those different types of tips and uh, points that we make in terms of policy, it's very important to understand the difference between the two because also in the UK and EU policies, changes like VAT regulations and packages under 15 pounds, they're, they're officially now subject to VAT, which is a value-added tax. Basically, if you're in the United States, the best translation I can give to you is it's a sales tax. So if you have goods that are selling under 15 pounds, you're going to be subject to paying that tax. And that that is you're just paying those authorities for that tax. It's going to be listed out in your Amazon Seller Central account. going to be listed right there. So what questions you have, go ahead and send those in. You can actually pay those VAT authorities through an ecosystem like Ping Pong so that you can just, um, so you're not com not compliant anymore, but make sure that you're paying VAT authorities through an ecosystem or having your accountants pay your VAT authorities through a solution like Ping Pong. So that being said, that, that's one of the major uh, things to look for. The new UK uh, product or labeling uh, and labeling regulations also is important to note that there's a CE certification, and that means that there's a it's an identi identity card for products to be allowed in the European Union. You have to make sure that this is certified by the proper authorities. It has to have that symbol. After the UK, since the UK left the EU, their certification no longer applies to British products. So if you're selling in the UK, you no longer have to have your products e, uh, CE certified. But if you're selling in the rest of Europe, of course, you must continue with that. But that being said, 
the UK actually launched recently launched the UKCA certification. So it's a separate certification to make sure your products have that certification so they can properly sell in the UK. Again, not very difficult to do. Um, it's the same string, it's the same regulations that you have to go, go through to send your products overseas. Make sure that you're getting those um, both separate entities certified depending on which products you're in marketplaces you are sending in. So again, the requirements for the UKCA, um, the UK, I'm, I'm sorry, the UKCA requirements is safety reporting. Again, what kind of reporting you're going to be going on, uh, kind of devices, depending on the product and category you're selling in, toys, making sure that things aren't chokeable or if it's consumable or if it's topical. All those different things have to be regulated by those entities. Um, the factory commitment needs to be, uh, commitment to comply with UKCA. So make sure if you are working with a supplier and you're selling in the UK, you have to know exactly that, that your factory is compliant and that they follow those regulations as well. Um, good question, Brendan. I'll get to that just in a second. Um, but yeah, if you, everyone has a question, I will be able to send those. This is an ask me anything and I'll be more than open and honest to give you my thoughts on the Amazon ping pong, global e-commerce things in general as well. Um, but going through again, the differences with, um, the factory commitments, uh, if you have a supplier that is, uh, has to be UKCA compliant, make sure that you're asking whether it's WeChat or email, make sure you're asking them if you're selling in the UK that they're, uh, commit, uh, compliant with that. Or if you're thinking about going into the UK, that, that certification meets requirements as well. Product labeling, again, products and product packaging must include product model, in compliance with safety report model and photos, factory information, uh, UK factory representative information, importer information, so on and so forth. So it's all labeled right here, making sure that your products are labeled appropriately for the UK specifically. And then having a UK representative for cross-border sellers is essential to find companies that do business in the UK to import, uh, provide import and guarantee commitment to quality and safety products as well. And again, we have a partnership page on ping pong payments. If you have questions or you have people who you would love to work with, we actually have, um, we have a couple different partners that we've worked with that are helping sellers expand from .com into UK to help them process much easier to do and just saving time and effort as well. So those are the things to look for in terms of that. Again, this is an effective date. Uh, this is January 1st. So about for a month and a half, all these standards are different between the UK and EU. So make sure that before this date, obviously this is a little retroactive, but if you're starting to grow into these marketplaces, you must, you must make sure that you are following these regulations or your products will be held up at port and they won't be able to be loaded into FBA warehouses over in the UK and EU. And again, the changes don't happen to EU, same regulations still apply. But if you're selling in the UK, they must meet these requirements. Um, and again, intellectual property due to trademark and law changes, European Union trademarks shall no longer be valid in the UK as well. So another thing to think about is if you have products that were trademarked in the EU, those no longer apply to just UK marketplace. So if you have products that were trademarked, I hopefully that this is already applying to people that um, are that are currently selling there and they've already got this covered. If you don't, you must reach out to people like Rich Goldstein or, um, you know, any other e-commerce law uh, professional that can make sure that you are regulated within those 
marketplaces because the UK is no longer part of the EU. Your trademarks and your um, and your intellectual property are no longer covered in Brexit. And again, that was as of January 1st. So make sure that your products, if they were, or if they're going to be, they have to be trademarked in both the UK and EU. That being said, again, I won't go into too much details because that's a case-by-case -case basis, but making sure that they're registered on Amazon trademarks um, for both, uh, they do not automatically apply. So you have to make sure that you go and manually do that and make those changes. And again, uh, I alluded to this earlier, changes in UK e-commerce VAT laws. Um, <coughs> with the regulations, it's basically the minimum of the product that's subject to VAT or value-added tax is 15 pounds. That is uh, for UK and not EU. EU regulations are a little bit more, um, a little bit more again consistent uh, within the EU. Specific conditions are subject to change again with the EU as time goes on. But they have to follow this uh, these cases to comply with the new UK VAT requirements. Delivery from outside the UK to UK buyers. This is what uh, the th cases need to comply with. Uh, delivery to inventory to UK and UK buyers and delivery. Delivery from warehouses outside the UK to UK companies and organizations. All those changes are new and what is needed to, to be handled in terms of what is changing in terms of those kinds of um, regulations. We have a couple more other things, but I just wanted to kind of tout this out here. What I'll do is I'll send this link uh, for this blog. Again, it'll go in the show notes uh, for UK uh, for the changes on Brexit and what have effect that has on in terms of e-commerce. So go ahead and check it out. If you're watching this below, it's in the comments section. It's on usa.pingpongrex.com. It's in our blog section um, for Brexit uh, uh, Brexit on e-commerce is specifically what it's called, or Brexit influence on cross-border uh, e-commerce. That's specifically what we're covering. So make sure you check that out for more information if you're going to expand into UK and into the EU as well. So those are two specific differences that I want to make sure I make that clear for all of our um, for our listeners and followers as well. But again, because this is an AMA, I'm not here to lecture or tell anyone what they don't want to hear. I'm here to ask you, the listener, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? What do you think about the show? What do you think about e-commerce or Amazon? And I will give you my personal take on the matter and where Amazon's going to continue to grow from there. So uh, Brandon Girdler, uh, friend of the show, again, a uh, friend that comments in quite a bit. Are you afraid of Amazon that Amazon is a monopoly? So in the context that I believe Brendan is talking is, is Amazon a monopoly in terms of e-commerce for regular, for everyone who doesn't know, Amazon makes majority of its money. Um, I would say, I think it's 53% of its Amazon web services platform. And that is actually, um, that is actually a fantastic business model. They are competing with like, like some Microsoft, Cisco, things like that. So I don't think Amazon Web Services is a monopoly specifically. Um, I think that there is enough competition in the space to warrant it. Um, you know, there's a lot of services because of what they do. Um, what they do is actually competitive enough that there's options out there. I think they have the best product out there because of the scalability of what you can do with Amazon Web Services. But in terms of what I think Brennan is specifically asking is the shopper form. And I'm going to tell you the answer is no. And this is why Amazon itself is a marketplace. And yes, there is a percentage of it that they do actually have, uh, they do actually have, <coughs> excuse me, their own Amazon basics, uh, 
line of brands, right? They have their own um, products. Amazon.com or how it, how it is as an e-commerce platform is very competitive, but they're competitive in the fact that there is a way to innovate. There's innovation there and it's happening at such a quick velocity that lots of other companies like Walmart, like even Target or other marketplaces that exist like Rakuten or Mercado Libre, as mentioned earlier in the show, those competitions, even though that they exist, there's still competition out there. And I think the reason why people are afraid of Amazon.com is quote unquote monopoly is because that's where a lot of buying power happens. And that's not that's not Amazon's fault. That j they just they did something that no other company could figure out is make logistics for your goods to get to the end consumer quicker, more effectively than a traditional branded website. Now, does that mean that that's difficult for other branded sites like um, for example, like Macy's.com to compete with, of course, that is where, um, that is where commerce used to happen most often on e-commerce, not just Macy's.com, but on branded websites. I personally worked in, uh, branded sites, uh, for built my own branded sites for a company I used to work for. And my job was to obviously build it up, but the products itself were being sold in places around the world. Again, not just on Amazon, but in stores like fanatics.com, Wayfair, Rakuten, they're sold in retail stores. That is what an entrepreneur ultimately wants is to have such a selection in uh, e-commerce business, have your products sold in both retail and online. That, that is, I believe, the ultimate goal and to hopefully eventually exit or get big enough where you can run that operations uh, to the point of where you want it to be. So .com in general, the reason why people think Amazon is a monopoly is because that's where a lot of buying has happened. That's where people have been trained, just like Google. And again, uh, Google's product is a search function, but that's where a lot of research happens, right? It used to be in used to be on different websites, or it used to be in books. That's where research used to happen, but now it's changed over to a uh, forum where it can happen instantaneously. You can get your questions. So research happens on Google. Um, you know that that that's where a lot of that happens. But on .com specifically, Amazon does not own, they have a marketplace for e-commerce sellers to grow and thrive. Now, of course, because they built out this platform, there's, uh, there's fees and subjects of regulation in terms of like warehousing fees. You don't have to sell an Amazon warehouse. Of course, there's perks to it. You sell on your own. So you can save yourself in fees there, but selling a platform and built, if you build your own platform today, you could have a bunch of sellers and recruit a bunch of sellers to sell in your marketplace and in theory, compete with Amazon. That's what Walmart's trying to do now. That's what Target will continue to do. That's where all these other marketplaces will continue to pop up and will compete with Amazon.com. Amazon just innovated the logistics and the customer service aspect quicker and more effectively than everyone else. So by definition, I think they're the most innovative company out there in terms of getting consumer goods to the end user, the buyer in this fact. Um, but as a seller, you have options to sell and way more locations now than you did even five years ago. You can sell on Amazon marketplaces. You can sell on branded sites. So using Shopify as a platform to build out your own ecosystem and drive traffic yourself. You have Walmart or retail stores that are starting to grow and develop into marketplaces. So you as a seller can start to go through this process. And if your products make sense, can live on those marketplaces. But also, I'm going to 
point out a couple other marketplaces that people are forgetting about. Etsy. Marketplace that is growing at an extraordinary amount of rate, or an extraordinary rate. And that's because, again, for a couple of reasons. Pandemic, if people are at home, they're doing all these kinds of different um, subject in terms of, uh, you know, they're developing their own hobbies, but it's a platform where you can sell your own handmade goods. And it's a marketplace that people are starting to go to buy gifts, um, to have home gift, gar- uh, home gift or garden decor for your home. But it's a marketplace nonetheless. So Etsy is really growing in terms of not just the United States, but internationally. You have, of course, uh, so we talked about Amazon.com marketplaces, uh, Shopify, Build Your Own Brand Sites, Etsy. And then, of course, you have other retail stores who are slowly coming online. Again, Walmart's the number one. You have Target, who's really <coughs> actually came out today. Target Marketplace is uh, still on Marketplace Pulse. Market, Target's Marketplace still tiny two years later. So it, it, as a marketplace, is still not big enough to make sense for everyone to jump on. But I think that you will continue to see Target to grow um, in terms of a marketplace. That's kind of my prediction, if you will. Um, you heard it here. I think that will be one of the... the um, golden marketplaces to be on in terms of making sure that you're holistically in all these different locations. Cause if you think about on a retail store um, front, when people think about who your shopper is, correct? You walk into a target and you, the jokes are out there. You walk out of a target and you have spent a hundred plus dollars because you walked in with one thing. I think that target does a great job in both branding. It will be an ecosystem that is favorable for high end sellers. So I think you will start to see that. But then also you'll start to see other marketplaces that are more niche. So I think that they will do targets to do this to compete and they will continue to grow and innovate as they always do. But their e-commerce growth and sales are stronger than ever. And of course, that's due to pandemic, but you will start to see that more as time goes on. Here's my um, so you will start to see those. And I think you will start to see more niche marketplaces. Um as can as time continues on, not just like holistic ones, like general ones, like Amazon.com, I would consider a general marketplace. People go to buy and search for everything, but I think marketplaces will get more even specialized as time moves on. And I say this for reasons of like high end goods. I think you will have very specific high end good marketplaces so that shoppers want to know that there's certain quality and thresholds that will start to be put in there. So I think that'll be number one, high end goods will be uh, a market, its own marketplace. Whoever innovates that or kind of develops it, that'll be more of a focus. And I think that just because of the competition in general, you'll just start seeing more and more companies pop up to say like, uh, for example, Wayfair and Zulily, both marketplaces by definition, Wayfair is continuing to grow furniture, home gift garden decor as a marketplace itself. So if, if I took all those different pieces, even though they are smaller in, con- in context, Marketplace and nonetheless, competition still exists. Monopoly is a term that as a business, there there are so many other places to shop. Like that's a first and foremost. So that's why I say Amazon.com is or Amazon in general is not a monopoly because of all the other things that they do. They're a tech company that happen to innovate and happen to have the logistics down to a fact where you don't have to worry about as a seller, like are my products going to get there safely or they can get there quickly. I can manage my customer service. I can manage inventory all in one really big platform. And that's where all the eyeballs are. So that's an easy win for me. Don't think it's a, don't think it's a monopoly. I would say that it is 
it is the most innovative marketplace out there to date. Again, you can grow a brand that doesn't have to rely on Amazon.com. It doesn't have to. Does it help? Heck yes, it does. But you have brands who are starting to innovate and come to Amazon.com because that's where eyeballs exist, but they have their own brand insights as well. So you can start and build it up outside of that. We had Stephen Black on yesterday. You can build and test your products and brands on Shopify in general. And when you find successful ones, then you can load it into Amazon.com. So as a market, so as a monopoly, I don't believe so. Um, I think competition will continue to push in different ways. Um, but because there's a lot of people who are funneling it until a company kind of comes in there and kind of swoops in and says, we're going to provide the same, uh, customer experience as amazon.com. I, I think Amazon will still be number one overall. So great question, Brennan, uh, in terms of that, um, do you cuss <laughs> Wyatt? I do cuss. <laughs> I don't, I don't need a reason why right now. Um, I knew I need to know this. Uh, so I, I'm not really sure what the question has to do with Amazon or e-commerce, but uh, they're <laughs> funny question. Um, but in terms of like uh, using adjectives, I try to use my the, my vocabulary to describe what I'm doing. But in terms of any sort of like discomfort or any sort of any kind of other emotional, I will be just like the next person and use words to help describe how I'm feeling at that time. So interesting question. <laughs> Didn't think I'd be getting that today. Um, Oh, good question. Okay. So Nick's stuff. Good question, Nick. What is the difference between RMB, CNY, and CNH? Which one should I use to pay Chinese supplier? So Nick's, Nick has a great question. Or that's a fantastic question, Nick. So let me kind of RMB and CNY are local um uh local uh, currencies in China. Uh CNH is uh in Hong Kong. Um so it's 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 used in the different part of China. And then it can get converted over, but by definition, it's the same, theoretically the same uh, for regulation or why is it, they have different acronyms, but those are a great question to pay a Chinese supplier that that's one I can specifically answer for you uh, or a Chinese supplier, Chinese supplier. It depends on your relationship. So if you're a first time seller, it's of course, you're going to want to use probably a solution where you feel comfortable with, whether that's Alibaba or that's um, you know a network that's established and you feel safe in terms of like insurance or like uh, tra trade insurance or uh, supplier insurance, so that you know that you can be comfortable when you're sending funds over to that supplier. So that's number one. You're probably working with a trusted uh, supplier in that regards um, through their network of quote unquote vetted uh, suppliers. So more than likely, what you're going to be doing if you have a good relationship with uh, and we had. Um, had a couple guests who talked about if you have a relationship that starts to um, innovate and grow outside of like an ecosystem like a um, Alibaba, what you would want to do if you have a good relationship and you're WeChatting them or you're uh, messaging, messaging them quite often, you have the ability to negotiate. And this is why suppliers, they, they're smart, right? In China, most people in around the world don't have local currency in China. Um, RMB or CNY. So what that means is that they offer the ability for you to pay out in USD. And that's important because that means that you can quickly and effectively get funds from your bank account to their bank account to pay for an invoice. Of course, everyone wants to, uh, everyone wants to be able to have that capability to pay them really quickly. But what 
and this is not their fault, like any business, they want that funds in local currency to pay out their employees, to pay out and use for their own services and goods. So they need to convert it themselves locally. USD isn't, you know, uh, is it, isn't the uh, currency for the people, quote unquote, around the world. Not everyone can use it, but locally they're going to convert it. So what does that mean for you as a seller? You as a seller are actually going to pay that conversion fee within, within your invoice. They won't tell you that, or they, they may tell you that, but for lack of convenience, you have to pay that. It's for cost of doing business, right? Because you don't have the ability to just pay out a thousand, ten thousand US dollars and convert that in local currency. You don't have that capability. There's Chinese banks that you have to deal with. The fees would be astronomical. So they have that for convenience reasons. You can pay out in USD. So instead of doing that, if you have the ability to do this, you've negotiated with your supplier, you have a good relationship, you've had a couple of um, conversations with them. They have they're doing all the things that a good supplier is doing, right? They're getting your products in timely fashion, quality's high. Um, you're happy with them. You have a good working relationship. You've met them, hopefully. If not, um, put that on your docket. But in terms of paying a supplier, a lot of them actually do like, again, it depends on the supplier. But for saving, I always tout this. You want to save a business time, money, or effort. That's where I find value in all those products. So if you can save them time by converting currency for them, you can save them money. You can save yourself money by converting it for them. And depending on the currency strength of USD or RMB and CNY, they can actually earn more if they just receive strict RMB and CNY instead. So they can be earning more in terms of that or have it be a stronger value to them. And then effort, they don't have to convert that for themselves. So they don't have to convert it locally at their own bank or their own financial institution. So when you walk to a supplier and you have a good working relationship, making sure that you have all those in place, say, hey, on this invoice, what if I instead paid you in RMB and CNY? Again, depending on the region, that's what what's used. It's like um, it used to be like UK, like the pound and the euro, depending on what part of Europe you're in, that would be interchangeable. Um, in the region they would be able to use. Uh, I believe RMB is, I've never been to China, but I believe RMB is the most popular in terms of currency. I, I want to say that's the most used currency or it's the oldest currency. Um, I would have to be, um, I would have to look into that. I don't know all the specifics, but I would have to look into that with you, uh, for you, um, Nick. But in terms of like paying a supplier, it actually can be beneficial to pay them out in local currency. And you can do that with a solution like ping pong, a uh, little layup for there. The 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 trouble the the tough thing to do is if you're doing that on through a bank, they're gonna cap you on how much you can send just because of regulations. You're not big enough to be able to facilitate a large transaction in that funds. Plus it will also be expensive if you, if you do it through a bank. But if you do it through a solution like a ping pong um, or a pioneer or transferwise or whatever solution you are using, again, we're not the only one that are used. We happen to just be one of the largest ones in China and Europe. Um, so that you know, we have the capability to have what you can actually send as much as you need to through those currencies. So it's important to know that if you can negotiate with your supplier and say, what if I paid you in RMB slash CNY, what kind of savings would I get? And they can be open and honest with you and say like, Hey, that saves me time and effort. That saves me funds. You as a, you as a, you know, customer can save that fund, those funds. You can actually go ahead and uh, pay them out through a solution like ping pong. And again, 
we did that for you. You can, in our uh, ecosystem, you can convert those funds over to RMB and CNY and pay out your supplier um, with the ease and with ease of service. You just have to validate they're a legitimate entity, uh, put in your their credentials, upload an invoice to make sure that you know they're a legitimate supplier. <clears throat> we verify all of that and then we facilitate that transfer. Um, and the beautiful thing about that is, is you're also saving money because instead of the roughly three to five percent in terms of uh, fees that you're charging or that your supplier is charging you for conversion, you can save that and put it to your bottom line um, by just paying them out in you know local currency. Again, no one has this floating around in their bank account, so we do the conversion for you. We do that at a maximum of one percent. That's the fee that we charge with that mid market rate. So you're never paying more than 1% in ping pong fees. Actually, the more that you receive and spend internationally, you save more money there. So at the end of the day, you're putting percentage points back to your um, bank account, back to your bottom line. You can use that to buy more inventory. I uh, use it to hire a VA. You can use it to pay out yourself, however you want to run your business. But saving that money and that effort is what we do best. Um, and we facilitate those transfers over, they get that either, you know, if it's to another ping pong account, it's, uh, you know, generally in 30 minutes, or if it's to another bank account, it's typically a business day or two. So that being said, that that's, um, to, in, and to answer your question more specifically, which one should you pay your Chinese supplier? That's up to them. That would be the one that you would have to ask them directly because of the location where they are in the world and which one they prefer. It's a simple conversation to have with them if you have a good relationship, which hopefully you do. That being said, um, it would be it would definitely behoove you to go ahead and check that out as well. If there are any more questions, go ahead and ask me directly. Um, that was a fantastic question, Nick. Um, definitely open to uh, answer a few more questions before I have to hop off today. Again, our guest was sick today. I, you know, I wish him speedy recovery. We'll definitely get him on so that we um, can cover all the topics that he wanted to cover today. Um, just him with traveling um, back to, he's actually moving from California to Ohio. So either uh, just caught something or hopefully it's nothing too serious, but just wasn't up to doing a live session with me. As you guys can tell, and you probably know, I, I give you guys the best. And if they can't give their best, I don't want to make their make sure that they're miserable, uh, make the show uh, unlistenable, so again, this is why I make this and ask me anything question uh, podcast. Uh, next time, I'll send out a massive note to former guests if they want to pop on, give some insights as well. Um, it was just a really quick turnaround. So that being said, I want to make sure that you guys heard my thoughts on the matter and where e-commerce is today. Um, I'm really excited, actually. There is a another event that I'm going to be hopping on and talking about international growth with Tika Metrics later today. If people are interested, I can go ahead and uh, send you the information uh, below. It's free to sign up. It's a free event. It's just another webinar about international growth and opportunities and expansion. Um, but yeah, to be, uh, yeah, so uh, in order to uh, sign up and listen more information about what we're uh, doing today, um, let me go ahead and put those in the show notes in the comment section. So if you guys are interested, it's a free webinar or a free information with me and Tika Metrics. Um, going over opportunities and in international growth as well. Um, here is the event. It's actually around, um, it's at 1 p.m. Eastern, so it's here at the top of the hour. If you have interest, go ahead and uh, you can go to this link here and sign up quickly. Um, just put in your information for them, and then you can go ahead and join as well. So 
the link to join that webinar is goteekometrics.com uh, forward slash ping pong dash 2001, 2021, I guess that's a year, dash zero. Um, for those who are watching, that's the link. Um, go ahead and check that out. Um, Nick, I'm so sorry. You, I saw your comments. So to be clear, if they're Chinese, there's no way to know if they want you in a room without asking them first. Yeah, it just depends on the the region or what's uh, what they have access to. That would be that would be um, my because of the different regions of China that depending on which currency they want to use or can use. That that's that's on them. So yeah, you can ask them which one they prefer to get paid out. Most often than not, I believe it's the um, the RMB or the renminbi. So um, I, I always use the acronyms because I never want to mess it up. I'm, I'm big on in terms of, uh, um, in, in terms of using uh, vocabulary. So, and again, I don't want to ask them or pass for a complete new, it's obvious to me one or the other. Uh, no, that's no problem. Um, if you have a question, Nick, so what I'll do, uh, uh, if you have a question directly, go ahead. And what I'll do is go ahead and email me directly and I'll make sure you as a, quote unquote noob, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So you can email me directly and we'll get you sorted out which one, um, if you have like where your supplier is located, I can get you an answer on which one they can, um, you can prefer to have them pay out in. So what I'll do is um, you go ahead and email me directly, Ryan.Kramer, again, at pingpongx.us. And again, if you have other questions, everyone, again, this is, uh, this is something that if you have questions about e-commerce in general, about the show, uh, go ahead and email me directly at that at that email oh, right here. Whoop, whoop, there we go, right here. <laughs> it's it's not mirrored, everyone. <laughs> my camera is all backwards, so can't figure that. So go ahead and email me directly right there. If you have questions, Nick, I'll hook you up and make sure that you uh, feel comfortable with reaching out to your supplier, and we'll walk you through the process. And you can use the ping pong if you're not already. Um, we'll make sure that you get um, that capability to pay them out in whatever currency they need to receive it in. Um, it's really easy to do. We'll get you hooked up and you can start doing it um, in as little as same day, hopefully, if you have all the right validations and um, you know uh, information. So that being said, everyone, I'm going to go ahead and just um, without any more questions, they're going, I know this is a little bit different than what we've typically had in crossover commerce. Again, I with the last second change, I just wanted to give my quick high level thoughts on what's going on in my world, what I've been thinking about lately, um, would love to hear your thoughts, your concerns, your <laughs> what else you might think of. And again, I, I threw on the wrong banner here. This is what I'm doing. I uh, had yesterday's banner incorrect at the bottom. Produ I produce, run the show. I do all the questions. I give all my own thoughts. None of this is scripted ever, um, but we go live four to five times per week. So if you have more questions, again, tomorrow should be back to normal. We have our guests lined up. Um, Summer and Ali Hobart. Their uh, husband and wife tandem that actually um, they sell and they use Amazon to fund their business so that they can travel around the world. And I believe most recently they were in Turkey, but I want to have a dual, a two-on-one conversation, me being the one. Um, I asked my wife if she wanted to be the other better half of myself and we can do a, a duo conversation, a duo interview. She didn't buy that. So it's just going to be me on the podcast as always as well. But I'm really excited to hear their thoughts, how they work together as a tandem and how they're doing it by traveling around the world. Again, they don't have a home base. Um, if they do, we're going to find that out tomorrow, but they're doing it to fund their travel life um, in the capacity that they can do it. 
on a day-to-day basis or in a COVID era basis. Um, uh, yes, Nick, sorry. You're, I, I apologize for the last question. Uh, have you seen my question about mobile website app for ping pong? Don't have an app yet. Uh, mobile, uh, mobile website should be, our website should be mobile optimized. Um, more than likely it's, uh, probably going to be just, I'm not sure, uh, recently I haven't gone on it on my fo- mobile cause I'm on my computer all day, but to be honest with you, the best way to do it be through desktop, but mobile, it should be optimized in that capacity. If not, let me know. We can always, uh, we're always making edits and changes An app, uh, don't know what our developers are innovating with right now. But down the road, it potentially could happen. Anything's possible in the world of technology, financial technology, and Amazon. You're here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, the responsive design doesn't work on mobile. Cool. Well, it's good to know. I will uh, if you, I will yell at somebody on my end to make sure that we start talking with those guys and making sure it's more user-friendly on the mobile version. So I appreciate the feedback. Again, any criticisms and uh, content, um, I can't scroll most notably. That's that, that is a that is a functionality that we need to make happen. So I will be more than happy to pass on that to our developers. I don't develop it myself. It was really cool. Someone thought I was the CEO of Ping Pong yesterday uh, or a few days ago. That is not true. I am I am a lovely brand ambassador. I work with influencers and partners on my end, and I make those handshakes happen. I just happen to know a lot about e-commerce, so I was glad to. Uh, I felt, saw it as a compliment if I was the. Uh, the person who ran ping pong. I am not. I am just a person who is the brand evangelist slash person who gives you guys content to basically be successful in your Amazon and e-commerce business. So thanks for the feedback, Nick. Thank you for everyone who is watching today on Crossover Commerce. Again, ask me anything, Virgin. This is weird talking to just myself. I would rather be talking to you guys on a screen, but I feel very uh, much in tune with our audience. I appreciate you guys. kind of going through this with me, but I am very excited to do this in the future. If you have feedback, go ahead and email me directly. Um, th- but this is ex- uh, excuse me, episode 64 of Crossover Commerce. We go live about four to five times per week. Again, we'll be back to normal tomorrow with our guest. Again, Summer and Allie Hobart, we're going to be talking about uh, making Amazon fund their lives um, so that they can travel and that they can live the life they've always wanted. So tune in uh, for a seller point of view. They're also great influencers. And Space Summer has a fantastic YouTube channel, um, always putting out great knowledge as well. So more than happy, uh, really happy to have them on as guest tomorrow. Thank you, everyone, for joining again on Crossover Commerce. Be safe out there. Uh, tune in tomorrow for another at 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll be live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And then also this will be available on download on uh, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. I'm Ron Kramer, host of this show, Crossover Commerce. Be safe out there, everyone, and tune in next time on Crossover Commerce.